Sermon 28 of the Sermons upon the Epistle of St. Paul to the Ephesians by John Calvin, translated by Arthur Golding. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. This I say, therefore, and adjure you by the Lord, that henceforth ye walk not as the rest of the Gentiles, which walk in vanity of their mind, having their understanding overcast with darkness, and being strangers to the life of God, by reason of the ignorance that is in them, and through the blindness of their heart, who without remorse of conscience have given themselves over to lewdness, to commit all uncleanness, even with inordinate greediness." Considering how corrupt we be by nature, it is not enough for us to have the good showed unto us, unless the vices that are rooted in us be also corrected. Like as it would smallly boat to sow corn in a ground that were overgrown with nettles, shrewd weeds, rushes, and thorns. And therefore, notwithstanding that St. Paul have heretofore showed the true rule of godly life, yet he addeth, as need is, that it standeth every man on hand to bethink himself to change quite and clean, and to become a new man, because that until God have cleansed us both in mind and heart, and in all parts of our soul, there will never be anything but filthiness. So then, the doctrine that we have heard heretofore should not boat us, if that which we hear now presently had not been added. For we know that the Ephesians to whom St. Paul speaketh, before they were converted to the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, had lived a certain time in ignorance, and been given to all naughtiness, and lewd life even to the utmost. Yet notwithstanding, St. Paul setteth it down here in general, that all they which have not been taught in God's school are blind wretches, unable to discern between good and evil, yea, and stark beasts, insomuch that even with the very root that cometh with them from their mother's womb, every man hardeneth more and more, till they fall into such excess that they become as monsters, and appear no more to be creatures fashioned after the image of God. Ye see, then, that, in effect, St. Paul's intent is that after he hath declared God's establishing of his government over us, now to the end that our walking in this world should be to go unto God and to the heavenly life whereunto he calleth us, he showeth that we shall never obey him nor bow our neck to receive his yoke until we have changed both our disposition and mind and forsaken ourselves because we be utterly corrupted." And so there are two parts in the instruction that is given us. The one showeth us whereunto God calleth us, and the other that we must fight against our own sinfulness and utterly imprison ourselves, that we may become teachable to receive the doctrine that God setteth out for us. Howbeit, for as much as that is hard to do, St. Paul thinks it not enough to give us single warning, but also citeth us, and after a sort setteth him in seat of justice, before whom we must yield an account, to the intent to move them and quicken them the more, to whom he speaketh. For it is no small thing to make men to renounce themselves, considering how every man sootheth himself, and believeth that he is able to work wonders. Although he be saped in naughtiness, yet thinks he that he hath some virtues in him. Yea, and altogether we have our faults proved to our faces, yet will we labour to cloak them through hypocrisy, and to set some fair colour and gloss upon them, or else we will maintain them wilfully, and never yield ourselves guilty, though our shame lie open to the whole world. 
To be short, it is a very hard encounter when a man must as well lay down all the wisdom which he weaned himself to have in governing himself after his own fancy, as also tame his affections, that he may be subject unto God, and have nothing in himself that shall strive against him. For our flesh is too stout in that behalf. And we hear how it is said in another text that all a man's thoughts and all that ever he can conceive is enmity against God. Likewise, also, it is said in Genesis, yea, even at the time that the world had the greatest soundness that ever it had, that whatsoever can come out of the warehouse of our own brain is all of it stark naughtiness and rebellion against God. So then, it was requisite that great vehemency should be used in this behalf, and therefore also doth St. Paul use it, saying that he not only teacheth, but also citeth them to whom he speaketh, to the end that they may know that they be, as it were, in God's presence, and that it is not for them to fall asleep in their vain self-flatteries. But that, as the devil hath many allurements to beguile us, so on the contrary part God's word must enlighten us, and that although we foreslow to consider our vices, and had lever to conceal them, yet we must understand that it is more for our profit to come to reason, and to examine thoroughly what is in us. That is the cause why St. Paul, minding to exhort the Ephesians to change of life, setteth down this adjuration and kind of witness-bearing, as though he were present before God's judgment seat. If there be any covenanting between man and man, this solemnity and ceremony of swearing will move them, and cause them to bethink themselves well what they promise, at leastwise if they be not quite out of their wits. Howbeit, here is not some notary to take notice of their oaths, and such other customs as are among men, to ratify the things that they agree upon among themselves. But here is St. Paul, who standeth in the behalf and person of Jesus Christ, from whom he hath authority, not only to require us, but also to summon us to make our account, if we endeavour not to discharge our duty. Yea, and he telleth us that it is not for us to let slip the things that he saith, nor to hear them with deaf ears, because God is present to punish our recklessness in despising his word. Since it is so, let us learn to leave flattering of ourselves, as many do, whom we see to pretend deafness, and whatsoever countenances they make, they continue always the same they were afore. Wherefore let us mark well that God, thinking it not enough to teach us, intendeth to take away all excuse, and telleth us that he will not suffer such contempt of his word, when we vouchsafe not to give ear, seeing he was so gracious as to speak unto us, to give us a warranty of our salvation. Now let us come to the effect of that which is contained here. St. Paul saith, Be not as the rest of the Gentiles are. I have told you already that they to whom he writeth were for a time quite given to all naughtiness and without the fear of God. For even from their cradle they had been brought up in all manner of idolatry, and yet they thought themselves well discharged when they had done some sacrifice to their puppets. Like as at this day in the popedom, they that play most merlemuse are counted most holy, and they think themselves out of God's debt, so they have once done a sort of pelting trifles. For that cause doth St. Paul send the Ephesians to this similitude, saying that if they look upon the rest of the Gentiles, there they may see in what plight and taking they were, before God had gathered them into his church. Pry upon yourselves there, saith he, for there shall you see your own images, before such time as God reached you his hand, and drew you out of the dungeon of unbelief wherein you were plunged, you differed nothing at all from them. 
Now then, at least wise, ye ought to consider the grace that hath been granted you, that it may bring forth fruit in you. By the way, let us mark that in using this speech, the rest of the Gentiles, St. Paul comprehendeth here all mankind. For he speaketh not of two or three men only, nor of any one nation, nor of some country, but he saith generally that all they which had not been trained in the gospel were blind wretches, as we see. To be short, he showeth what manner of ones we be until God have prevented us with his grace, to the intent we should not cast this exhortation away, nor bear ourselves on hand, that we be exempted from all the things which we shall see hereafter. Therefore to the end we surmise not a privilege to withdraw ourselves from the common array of men. St. Paul hath here knit all Adam's children together as it were in one bundle. For in all mankind there is nothing to be found but lewdness and corruption. Here therefore are two points which we have to mark. The one is that here, as it were, in a looking-glass, we should behold what our own state is, so long as God giveth us the bridle, and letteth us follow our own swing. Mark that for one point, and I will lay out more at large anon. The other is that, when we see the enormities which are committed through the whole world, and that men be so shameless in evil-doing, or rather altogether bewitched, and some so besotted as a man can by no means move them to learn to fear God, when we see, I say, on the one side such stubbornness in men, and on the other side so gross and beastly senselessness, let us learn to spy ourselves there, and to consider that God did us a similar good turn when it pleased him to touch us to the quick, that his word might prevail in us. For we differ nothing at all from the worst and most disordered in the world, nor from such as are in most horrible confusion. You see then what we should have been if God had not pitied us. And this ought to touch us well to the quick, that the grace which God hath granted us be not darkened and quite quenched in the end, so as we be quite and clean bereft of it. After this manner, therefore, ought we to apply this text to our instruction, where St. Paul setteth other men before us, which have not yet been enlightened by the faith of the gospel, but are let alone, and by comparing our state with theirs, we may consider how merciful God showed himself unto us in drawing us out of such a dungeon to the intent that we should be the diligenter in giving ourselves unto him. Hereupon he saith, Walk no more henceforth as they did in vanity of mind. By this word henceforth, or hereafter, he intendeth to shame such as trained in the gospel, if their life prove not that they have not misspent their labour. For to what purpose are we called to the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, but to separate ourselves from the stumbling blocks of the world? Therefore we must not excuse ourselves by our bringing up in evil custom, nor by any examples that might allure us to lewdness, nor yet by that there is nothing but frowardness round about us. For seeing that God hath adopted us to be his children, he will have us to live thereafter. And therefore let us mark that faith importeth such a reforming of ourselves as our life be clean changed. And for the same cause is it said that whosoever will be counted to be in Jesus Christ must become a new creature. For we may prate of the gospel enough and too much, and we may be marvellously fine-headed. But that shall be naught worth until the said change appear in us, that is to say, until we lead a new life. Besides this, we have to mark here that after St. Paul hath spoken of the vanity of mind, he addeth blindness of mind, or darkness of understanding, and lastly, he saith, blindness or stubbornness of heart. 
This blazing of men after this sort serves well to put them quite out of conceit. For when the philosophers spake of the excellency and worthiness that is in man's nature, they did always set down reason as an overruler. Next her they did set down discretion between good and evil, when men debate in themselves and make a searching and turmoiling for things. After that manner did they make, as it were, a court bar to the end to make man judge of good and evil. It should seem then that St. Paul here abaseth men too much when he saith that reason hath nothing in it but vanity, untruth, and deceitfulness, and again that all that ever men can conceive is but a maze of vain fancies, and that they do but overthrow themselves more and more, as if a blind wretch should wander abroad in the dark. Yet, notwithstanding, the Holy Ghost is the only competent judge to give sentence of the things that are in us, lest we might think ourselves to have won the goal by flattering of ourselves. According as he told us afore, that men have their eyes so blindfolded with the fond opinion which they have conceived of their own worthiness, that they cannot be ashamed and confess their own lewdness. That was the cause why the philosophers did always magnify the nature of man, and yet notwithstanding, experience showeth the clean contrary, for the vanity that is in them is apparent. But they waited upon men's negligence and recklessness, so that if men would apply all the senses of nature thoroughly to know what is good, they should be as little angels. They imagined so, but that was for want of bolting them to the bottom, for they never wist what God is, and that made them to discharge themselves so lightly towards him, insomuch that even they which disputed most cunningly of God's majesty had a higher understanding than the common sort, and to be short were esteemed the wisest men in the world, could, notwithstanding, never come near the truth of God, and whensoever his service came in question, they were so graveled that they turn all things upside down. And so the wisdom of the world will not suffer us to come to the heavenly light, for it is a special gift of God, and not to be found in ourselves. Ye see, then, that even the greatest men of skill deceive themselves, and that is the cause that men fall asleep in this fond opinion, whereto they were too much inclined afore. Yea, and we see that this foolish, or rather devilish, overweening, hath gotten place even among the Jews, insomuch that they have always been of opinion, as men are nowadays in the popedom, that they have free will. True it is that the papists will grant more than the heathen folk, namely that we be corrupted by original sin. Howbeit their meaning is, that notwithstanding the infirmity which is in man, yet there abideth some remnant of goodness in him, insomuch that we have an understanding still, and also a will that is able to train us unto good, though it be but weak of itself. To be short, such as will needs judge according to their natural understanding, say that men are as sound and uncorrupted as angels. The papists, being convinced by so many records of the scripture, will grant well enough that we be false from our original, and that there are many vices in us. But yet is that no let, say they, but that we be still half clean and are able to do good of our own power, when we be once humbled before God. To be short, they make such a partnership between God and men, that they say indeed that we have need to be enlightened from above to attain to faith, but yet that we have some light in ourselves, and God maketh up that which wanteth. Again, they will say that lust doth so reign in us, 
as it is right hard for us to submit ourselves to God, but yet that we must labor to do it and are able to do it so that God aid us and reach us his hand. And this is the concurrence, as they term it. That is to say, the matching or marrowing together of God's grace and of the goodness that remaineth in man, though we be corrupted. But, as I said, let us rather hearken to that which God himself, even he which only is the competent judge, hath spoken of it by unrepealed sentence, which is that all they which follow common reason and the things that man hath of himself are blind wretches. And what shall then become of reason? For although men think that it serveth to give them light and to show them the way, yet it is certain that it doth but always tumble them into the pit, and whereas they wean themselves to be well advised, they shall be stark beasts. And the cause why this is told us continually is to do us to understand that God must be fain to reform us, not by half, but all whole throughout. And here a man might ask a question. If men, I mean those whom God hath let alone, were without understanding and discretion in that behalf, whether might one see examples of it or no? It is very certain that they be not like horses, nor yet like dogs, but yet let us mark that all the understanding and discretion which is in us, and all the judgment which is possible for us to have, serveth to none other end than to make us unexcusable. Therefore, we must understand that although we have some discretion between good and evil, before God have taught us by his word and enlightened us by his Holy Spirit, yet the same serveth but to bereave us of excuse, that we might not make a buckler of ignorance, as we be wont to do. For although every man have not had the written law, yet must he bear the sentence of damnation about him in his heart, as saith St. Paul in the second of the Romans, and God must drive him to perceive it afore by making him to feel heart-bitings, whether he will or no, so as he shall say, I am guilty in this thing and in that. Thus remaineth there some understanding in men, howbeit not to lead them in the way of salvation, but only to make them so much the more guilty before God. For as touching our affections it might be said, that there are many which live honestly and without blame, though they never tasted of the gospel. Yea, Mary, but in the meanwhile their hearts are fraughted with malice and stubbornness, and no doubt but that all such as have not been reformed by God's Spirit shall still feed a sea of wicked, froward, and malicious lusts within them. And therefore let us not stay upon the outward show, but let us mark how it is not for naught that God challengeth the searching of men's hearts as his peculiar office, and therefore that must be reserved unto him. Also let us call to mind how St. John in his epistle saith, that we see not all the sins that are in us, but that God, who seeth far more clearly, is the judge thereof. Howsoever the case stand, when men have done the best they can, yet can they not rid their hands of condemnation when they come before the heavenly judge, especially seeing that the stars are not clear in his sight, no, nor even the angels, insomuch that if he listed to examine them with rigor, they should not be able to come to the perfection that is in him. So then let us note that until God have visited us, and is come unto us, and hath subdued us unto him, we shall always continue ignorant and blind wretches. There shall be nothing but vanity in all our understanding. In our hearts there shall be nothing but pride and presumption. And our lusts shall be so far out of square that they shall strive against God, and we shall fight against his justice and against all right. 
and surely we see what hath followed of it, when men would needs govern themselves by their own wit. For what fashions of serving God have been brought unto the world, and how wicked? Wanted there any great cunning, or any great skill? No, for we see that God hath poured out his gracious gifts in such wise, as man's wit hath showed itself right excellent in all manner of sciences and knowledges, saving in the chief, that is to wit, of coming unto God. In this all have failed, they have all wandered away, and there was nothing but falsehood and deceit in their case. And the further they endeavoured to thrust themselves forward, so much the deeper did they plunge themselves into the mire. Wherefore let us note that although the light shine, as it is said in the first chapter of St. John, yet notwithstanding, we being darkness, conceive it not. St. John showeth that even from the beginning God separated men from beasts, imprinting his image in them, and giving them discretion to discern between good and evil. The life of man, then, serves not only to eat and drink, but also to consider that we have a better life, and that is, to have some order and common policy here beneath, and to understand that there is a God which ruleth all. Lo, here the light that was before Adam's fall, and this light abideth yet still, but yet it shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not, but rather quencheth it quite and clean out. So then, if we have any small insight or aim, let us consider that it is but as a little spark which passeth and vanisheth away out of hand. But in the meanwhile, as concerning our own nature, that we should be able to have regard of goodness, or to seek it, follow it, and continue in it, it is utterly impossible. And why? For our understanding is stark blind. To be short, there is nothing but vanity in us, according to this saying, that God perused the thoughts of men and saw there was nothing but vanity and leasing in them. Now, to express this yet better, St. Paul saith, that they had their understanding darkened and were strangers to the life of God, wherein he cutteth off the occasion of all excuses that men can make. For they will reply continually against God, and though they be condemned, yet will they always have the last word, saying, What can I do with it, if there be nothing but vanity in me, seeing that God created me so? Why made he me not otherwise? But St. Paul telleth us here that we have our understanding overcast with our own darkness. And why? Because the light is quenched by the corruption that is come upon us in Adam. To be short, St. Paul showeth us here that we must keep our mouths shut when the scripture bereath that we be both ignorant, blind, and brutish. We must not think to further our case by alleging that God ought to have made us otherwise. For the evil proceedeth of Adam's fall, because not only was he bereft of the good that he had received, but all we also were impoverished in him. And like as he that forfeiteth his goods must beg, and his children too, so must we also in our penury and poverty consider still at this day the misfortune that is come upon us through the fault and offence of our first father. Thus you see how St. Paul hath here disappointed all starting holes, that men are wont to set afore them, to show themselves to be righteous and innocent before God. For whence cometh the vanity of our mind, in that we be both blind and ignorant, even of our being in darkness, and by darkening of the light that God hath put into us in our first creation. And forasmuch as this is a hard matter to broach, St. Paul bringeth us to the life of God, 
and that is to laugh to scorn all the trifling imaginations that men have contrived to maintain their own free will, reason, and discretion. For, as I have said already, the books of the philosophers are full of such stuff. In the popedom there is bickering still at this day for free will, as though all were marred, if man had not some good self-moving and ability to prepare himself to receive grace, and were made fellow with God, and could make the grace effectual which is offered him. By which reckoning men shall not only be hail-fellow with God, if they may be believed, but of better ability than he, so as he shall but add some little portion to them. But St. Paul saith that we may well be alive in our opinion, but as in respect of God, we shall not fail to be as dead carcasses, or rather even as rotten and stinking carrions. Then let not men take upon them through their foolish overweening to have reason, wisdom, and free will. But if they would fain know their own state, let them lift up their eyes and consider that their living must be the life of God, and not the life which every man fancieth here to himself. St. Paul in the seventh to the Romans confesseth that he thought himself alive for a time, namely before he had been converted to the pure doctrine, because he was full of hypocrisy and possessed with such pride that he thought himself to be as a little angel, and wise because God's law had not yet sifted him thoroughly. But when I once entered into myself, saith he, and knew what it was to lust, then did God's law wound me to death, and I perceived that the life which I had lived afore was but death, and that I had made myself to believe wonders, taking myself to be that which I was not, as fools do, which believe that they be kings and princes, when in the meanwhile lice eat them up, or else they starve for hunger and cold. So then St. Paul confesseth, that before he was converted, he was alive to his own seeming, and he triumphed at it. But when Christ had once humbled him, and made him feel what God's judgment was, then he gave over that life, and saw well that it was but a death. Likewise he saith now, that although we be alive in the opinion of the world, so as men clap their hands at us, and magnify our virtues, and that we ourselves also are besotted with the same opinion, it is nothing at all, but we must go unto God. Now we shall find that God hath a special life which he reserveth and keepeth as laid up in secret for his children. For albeit that he make his day sun to shine upon good and bad, and show himself liberal towards all without exception, yet doth he not scatter abroad the things that serve for his chosen, according to this saying of the psalm, Lord, how great is thy goodness which thou hast laid up in store for them that fear thee. It is as a treasure that thou hast hoarded up for them. So then, whereas St. Paul speaketh here of God's life, he showeth that in living according to our nature we have not our life of him. Whence then is it not God that hath created us? Is it not he of whom we have our being and moving, as it is said in the seventeenth of the Acts? Then is our common life of God, inasmuch as he is our maker, but inasmuch as he is the saviour of the chosen, and inasmuch as he is the father of his children whom he hath adopted. This life, which is common both to good and bad, is not named God's life, but man's life. God letteth it alone in his plight. And which then is God's life? It is when upon his choosing of us he showeth us the way of life and salvation, and reneweth us by his Holy Spirit, so as Jesus Christ dwelleth in us by faith as we have seen afore, and uttereth his power in us, 
causing our old man to be crucified with him, yea, and even buried too, that we may be raised again, even to be separated from all uncleanness of the world, that we may not resemble the unbelievers, who are wholly prisoners under the tyranny of Satan, and are driven and hailed by him, and give over themselves to all evil. That is, in effect, the cause why St. Paul hath spoken to us here of God's life. And now, that we may the better be wakened and receive this exhortation unfeignedly, let us not deceive ourselves any more with the opinions that every of us may conceive in his own head, nor yet with the judgment of men, which oft-times do praise and commend the thing which is nothing worth. Verily, we know how our Lord Jesus Christ saith in St. Luke, that the thing which is high and excellent afore men is utterly loathsome before God. To the intent, therefore, that we may no longer be deceived by them, let us understand that until God have made us new creatures and begotten us again by his Holy Spirit, we be blind in our understanding, we have nothing in us but vanity, and we be utterly ignorant, yea, and stark beasts. That is, in effect, the thing we have to bear in mind. Wherefore, as oft as we fall to our accustomed bias and follow our own fancy, let us learn to sight ourselves before God, and to weigh well what is meant by the life that he reserveth as peculiar to himself. Not that it serveth for none other but himself, but because he bestoweth it upon none but his own children. For thereby it is that he showeth himself to have chosen us, as we have seen in the first chapter. Now hereupon he setteth down immediately the hardness of their heart, not a single hardness after the manner as we take hardness, for the Greek word betokeneth a thickenedness or muddiness, as when a piece of wine that was very well fined is so troubled as it becometh all lees and groweth thick and muddy like a puddle, so as there is no more clear liquor in it. Even so St. Paul saith that the heart is thickened when it is so blinded and hardened by that means, as it cannot yield to the obeying of God, and that then there is no clearness in it, but all is troubled like a puddle. And this word heart doth in the scripture betoken now and then all the lusts, likings, and will of man, and sometimes also his understanding. But forasmuch as here St. Paul hath put a difference between a man's understanding and his mind and his heart, we may well think that he meant to add the will, together with all the scannings and debatings which we make in ourselves about the judging of good and evil, and finally the whole understanding which we have, and the reason that reigneth in us, St. Paul therefore meant in effect to show that man is so corrupted in all parts of him through the sin of Adam, as there is neither wit nor will, but it tendeth wholly unto evil, and is utterly saped in it. And therefore, like as erst he condemned the beastliness that is in us, so now also he showeth that we be as blocks, and cannot be quiet to follow our God, whithersoever he calleth us, but that we be stubborn, and have stiff necks which cannot bow, as Moses also upbraideth those that rebelled against God, telling them that they had a neck of iron or brass. And even such are we too of nature." And for that cause it is said in Ezekiel that God will change the hearts of them whom he will have saved, so that whereas they were stone before, he will make them flesh. This similitude showeth well what is in us till God have wrought an alteration in us. For we have nothing but hardness, 
which is as much as if the Holy Ghost should say that we be God's enemies and refusers of all truth until God have softened us and corrected the crabbedness and stubbornness wherewith we cast up our rage in such wise against God. To be short, all our lusts are as men of war marching in battle to let God that he should not reign and execute his power and superiority which he ought to have over us. Lo, what our nature is. Now let us go brag of our own free will and of our reason, as we see these wretched papists do, who are ever harping still upon that string. But let us learn to humble ourselves with a good will, and, as I said afore, let us consider that St. Paul blameth men's nature, showing that all of us, from the greatest to the least, are plunged even to the bottom of hell, until God pluck us back again. And therewithal let us consider all the enormities that are done through the whole world, and conclude that we ourselves should do as much if God showed us not his mercy, and let the same stir us up to bridle ourselves, lest we overshoot ourselves at some time, and seeing it hath pleased God to draw us unto him, let us not turn back again to meddle with the lewdness of the unbelievers. And no wonder, though they stumble and tumble and reel to and fro, for they have no light to direct them. But our Lord shineth upon us by his word, and giveth us eyes by his Holy Spirit, and therefore let us eschew to be like them, as St. Paul exhorteth us here. Hereunto he addeth the top of all mischief, which is that men go astray after their own kind, continue in going outward from worse to worse, and load themselves with flattery, whereby they cast their consciences into such a sleep, as they feel no more any remorse or grief, and that is the highway to make them utterly past recovery. Now, first of all, let us learn here to prevent such vengeance of God, which ought to make us quake. And when we hear that such as abide still in their own nature and overshoot themselves so far as to be without scruple of conscience, and to become as brute beasts, void of discretion, to be moved either with life or death, or with manner of feeling of their own soul health. Let us a God's name walk in fear and awe, and bewail our sins every hour, early and late, that we be not hardened after that fashion. For we see how they that grow beastly after that sort do gather such a hard-heartedness, as a man cannot bow them, after they have gotten such a boldness in giving themselves unto evil. Thus, as touching the first point, let us be right well assured that God revengeth himself after a terrible manner against all such as load themselves in their vices, and take inordinate leave to do what they list, so that in the end they become brutish, even as asses and dogs. And now for the second point, if God used such rigour towards those which were never yet trained to the gospel, what will he do to us when he shall have showed us the way of salvation a long time, and yet we continue still like those that never tasted of good instruction? Do we not think that the punishment shall be more horrible and dreadful upon us? Like as when St. Paul declareth in the first to the Romans, that God gave men over to disordinate and shameful lusts, so as they were utterly past all shame. He speaketh expressly of the heathen and unbelievers, who had none other knowledge of God than by the skies and the earth and the creatures. They had none other help than that great book, whereby to glorify God, and yet for as much as they did it not, therefore are they condemned after that manner. But now can we have no such excuse as those silly souls had? We cannot say we be not able to discern what is good because we were blinded by Adam's sin and there is nothing but vanity in us. For God hath given us his word, which is justly called a lamp to guide us by, 
We have the gospel where our Lord Jesus Christ declareth that he is our guide. And yet for all this, if we will needs provoke God willfully by dissolving the doctrine of salvation, whereas we should follow it, of which sort there are many even at this day who seek to wallow in all lewdness and disorder and despise God openly, what shall become of us? Wherefore, let us learn to walk in the fear of God, and let us mark well that St. Paul hath not without cause set down here the top of all mischief, of purpose to show us thereby what wages God will pay to all such as yield not to him in due time and place, but rather take liberty of all naughtiness, as though they were escaped out of his hands. Let us then be afraid to overshoot ourselves so far, and then although we have wandered far afore, God can skill well enough to draw us to him. Let us be afraid, lest God should execute the said judgment upon us, as well as upon them, according to this saying of Solomon, that when the wicked man is come to extremity, he despiseth all. That is to say, he regardeth neither life nor death, but flingeth forth like a brute beast. Therefore let us quake at such threatenings, for fear lest God execute them upon us, when we cannot abide to be rebuked for our vices." And contrarywise, let us practice the doctrine of Solomon when he saith, Happy is the man whose heart pricketh him, and quickeneth him up night and day. Let us learn then to be our own solicitors, and to touch ourselves for our vices. And when we enter into them, let us be abashed at them, and cast down, and condemn ourselves, until God have relieved us with his mercy. After that manner must we put this doctrine of St. Paul's in your to the end that when God hath once knit us to him by the means of our Lord Jesus Christ and given us life, we may take good heed that our life be not defaced and quenched in us through our own lewdness and unthankfulness. Again, that being minded to continue in this doctrine may learn first of all to humble ourselves, for it is certain that humility will cause us to resort unto God. And secondly, that our humility be matched with awareness, so as we be not reckless to flatter ourselves, but that through the same awareness we strain ourselves to the utmost to fight against all our vices and lusts, tarrying our Lord's leisure until he rid us quite and clean of them. And in the meanwhile, let us always win somewhat of ourselves, be it never so little, so as it might continually appear that our Lord Jesus Christ worketh in us and maketh his grace to prevail by causing us to go forward in goodness that we may, say I, be so disposed as we may grow more and more until God have taken us out of this world. Now let us fall down before the majesty of our good God with acknowledgement of our sins, praying him to touch us so to the quick, as it may draw us unto true repentance to continue in it all the time of our life, that being utterly beaten down and made nothing in ourselves, we may learn to seek all our welfare in him, and he thereupon lead us familiarly by the hand of our Lord Jesus Christ, so as we may go to seek it there, and go forward more and more in the professing of his gospel, to the intent also to be filled with his gracious gifts, which are the true fruits of that root. That it may please him to grant this grace, not only to us, but also to all people and nations, etc. End of Sermon 28